Hello and welcome to a special podcast from The Athletic. This podcast will centre on football's Rainbow Laces campaign and the challenges for the LGBT community within football. My name is Adam Crafton, I'm a reporter at The Athletic and during the Zoom call earlier on, I was joined by our Editor-in-Chief Alex Kajelski and our Sheffield Wednesday correspondent Nancy Frostick. Alex and I are both gay men and Nancy is a lesbian woman. Before we delve deep into this subject, you can subscribe to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman, where you will also find a fantastic article by Nancy examining what the Rainbow Laces campaign means to her and its power in the women's game. So the way we are going to discuss Rainbow Laces today is based on subscriber questions. And the first of these areas for discussion that was brought into us was in relation to, to the campaign itself. And the question says, I appreciate that this campaign is focused on helping LGBTQIA fans feel safe and supported, but does it not ring a little bit hollow if there is not a single out player, out male player? Is this fair or does this fundamentally miss the point of the Rainbow Laces campaign, Alex? I get really, really bored of everyone focusing Rainbow Laces on the subject of where are the gay footballers for so many reasons. Number one, leave them alone. If there are gay players out there, then when they're ready and they feel that there's enough support out there, then they'll come out in their own time and that's not what it should be about. And in the meantime, this campaign is about trying to create an atmosphere, I guess, is the right is the right word, so that that kind of feels more comfortable, whether it be for gay players or gay staff working at football clubs or gay fans, which is like my uh, sort of area that I kind of bang on about quite a lot to people. I'm married. I have kids. I walk around London holding their hands. We go out to restaurants. We go all kinds of places like normal people. I would pretty much say that football is the only place where I would not hold my husband's hand in London. And yeah, you know, I, I would be really worried to do that. And I genuinely am concerned about taking my kids there in a few years. So does, does that put you off going with, with your husband to the football? Oh, um, does it put me off? No, we, we've gone a few times, but I find it really weird to be around someone who I'm usually very like touchy feely with. And then to have to like, kind of like sit there look sideways and, and like nod at each other and like maybe like if we score like just sort of like I don't know what shake his hand I don't know it's all just a bit I find it very uncomfortable and you start to become very aware of, of the fact you're having to act differently around around people and so I, what I'm what I think the campaign can do is help to a show LGBT fans that football clubs care whether they do or not is probably something we'll come to uh, later in the conversation and B just create a bit more of an atmosphere of of comfort I suppose. Nancy in terms of when you go to when you go to games whether it's the team you support or in your capacity as a journalist does it ever cross your mind that you need to in some ways behave differently does it because I mean what Alex just described there in terms of being very conscious of his behaviour it is almost like going back, you know, however long it was before you were out to really thinking and scrutinizing your own behavior to the nth degree, because what if they know? What if we're caught out? What if, what's going to happen if, if these people who 
we don't know and we're just making a risk assessment of these people in our head what what if they realize that that we're gay um does that influence the way you behave even maybe subconsciously at football matches yeah i think so like definitely i think as a fan like i've not been to a game yet with my girlfriend i'd love to go one day and like i think for me that is something that i would feel a hundred times more comfortable doing if I went to a like a WSL game as opposed to a Premier League game or Championship game. And so, yeah, I think like if that eventuality were to happen, obviously not many people are going to games at the minute, so it's kind of pushed to one side a bit. But yeah, I think that would definitely make me behave differently because I normally go with my brother and people might look at us in a weird way, think they're a couple, but obviously because <laughs> we're just a guy and a girl together. But, but yeah, and then as a journalist, I... I don't know, it's, it's a weird one because I think people obviously that I see on a weekly basis know and like are familiar with me as a person rather than a journalist or, but not everyone knows. And so I think sometimes it's maybe in the back of my head also just with that like added layer of sometimes or quite often I'm the only woman in the press box. And so you kind of look around and you try not to notice it, but also like it is there and you do notice it. Obviously people can't visibly see that, I'm gay so it's kind of I don't know yeah it does it just sort of sit in the back of my mind a little bit when you're in that environment all the time which is definitely kind of straight and male also I imagine there's people listening who go well why do you need to hold hands with your girlfriend or your husband at a football match or kiss them just act like everybody else just act like your two friends out together it's not about that it's about how it makes you feel because you're used to behaving in a certain way with a certain person and all of a sudden you're very conscious that you can't relax and be yourself. That's what it's about. In, in regards to the concept of rainbow laces itself, which is almost, it's almost football's equivalent of gay pride for a couple of weeks in that it's the only time of year where, you know, if there were to be a young, a young guy or a, a young woman who is, who is gay but maybe has not, admit, has not revealed it yet either to themselves or to other people, it's the only time that they will be, I suppose, confronted in the sport by rainbows and by by people talking about the issue, by, by Graham Sooners on Sky, by people like us doing this podcast. Before you were out as a, as a person, how was your relationship with, with that when you saw Pride marches, when you saw, I don't know, you may have been at uni and seen LGBTQ events, was... I'm trying to put myself in the mind of that footballer. I know, I know that when, before I, before I was out, I found that very, very scary. And I can now see, now that I'm out, how beneficial that is um, because it helps create this inclusive environment. But I remember in those weeks, just like, just thinking, they're all staring at me. They all know it's all of, because you convince yourself that the whole world is staring at you. And maybe I've not grown out of that in all walks of life. But I think in, in in this sense, you you're, you're almost just waiting for this week and this noise to disappear a little bit. So is this week more about creating that environment than getting than encouraging someone to come out? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with what you what you just said. I had I had those feelings as well. I think you, know, you and I have talked before about being young and knowing that you're different or trying to kind of place it. And then like you'd be watching TV and there'd be two, like two men kissing on the TV and you're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Like don't, don't make me have to be part of this. And I have to say that for a long time, I chose, even though people I work with knew I was gay, I chose not to embrace that because I was like, be a journalist first. Don't be the gay journalist, just be a journalist. 
And then I actually realized I didn't want that. I wanted to, I wanted to be a gay journalist, not because it affects me in any way, because I just get on my job, but because if I was thinking if I was 14 or 15, then I, I'd want to know that there were gay journalists out there. That's kind of the point. I haven't really answered your question, have I? So, so yes, I do think the main point of it should be about making people feel like there's someone else there for them and that they're not alone. I think that is just so much more important than, oh my God, where's the next gay footballer? Because that's just a whole other conversation. Because that, that then brings into the realm of role models and the importance of having role models. And I think probably that the fundamental difference between the men's game and the women's game is we, do, we as men don't have those, those role models um, in terms of a gay footballer. In the women's game, it's very, very different. And there's all manner of reasons for that. But Nancy, can you explain a little bit what the impact, I suppose, growing up or over the last few years has been just to know that someone like you can go and play in the in the Women's Super League, can go and represent... You've not seen her play. That, well, no. <laughs> I, we, I'm told she's very, very good. Um, so... Um, there are all different things stopping me and you, Alex, from playing uh, playing Greenland. Um, but in Nancy's case, it might be different. So, why what, can you just put into words a little bit how that makes you feel as a young uh, lesbian woman? I guess maybe when I was growing up, there probably wasn't any WSL player that was out. Maybe I think Casey Stoney was like obviously the most high profile and, and first person to do that, but. I think now, like you can see, there's there's quite a few, especially in the WSL, but also over in America, and it makes such a difference. Where I think you can kind of see someone obviously being successful in their job, which is you know maybe something that we all really love, which is football, and you know, but also like being very happy either in a in a relationship with a teammate or someone else I think that helps a lot and it does mean more to me when you see someone like Magdalena Eriksson wearing a rainbow armband because you know I know that that will have a different meaning to her than maybe like no offense to someone like I don't know Jordan Henderson or James Ward Prowse if they're wearing a rainbow armband they're doing it because they probably want to make football a better place but it, you know it maybe doesn't have the same meaning to them as, as it would do to her so but I think I definitely found women's football like a much more supportive environment playing at grassroots level like it was never a strange thing to have teammates who are in relationships and I think that that probably helps from that level so I mean like I think we've spoken about it before where obviously I would just be able to go and play in a grassroots under league team and not worry about that whereas you two might feel like you have to specifically go and play for an LGBT men's team and so in, in that regard I think like the women's game is quite different and probably it makes things a lot less of a big deal apart from you know relationship drama in the team which is probably if you ask anyone who plays women's football like I think it's just a <laughs> an ongoing thing but yeah sounds like a great feature <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not a WSL level I can imagine that would be a nightmare was that also reflected in school sports teams when you were growing up or was that a, a scary thing because I think one of the things I'm very conscious of is I think sometimes people look at lesbian women coming out in women's football and they think oh it's 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 much easier because there's a few it's not there's no challenges was was it more challenging than perhaps at school level where you you know you're being female sports teams or maybe you were, you were the girl in the guys sports team 
was that a different experience? I think so, because, I mean, talking about playing at grassroots, at that age, I was probably 15, 16, playing up into a women's team. So, you know, the people I was playing with were a good few years older. And obviously that helps in some ways or, you know, gives you that distance from school, which can be a really scary environment for obviously a lot of people, um, regardless of whether you're LGBT or not. So, yeah, like on the school team, I can't think of anyone, any girls anyway, that, you know, were out or were in relationships together. And so that definitely like wouldn't have been something that would have crossed my mind to even think about doing whilst I was at school. And I think there's probably that that thing where I'm hoping it's not still the case for girls at school, but maybe there's the expectation that if you are a girl who plays a sport like football or maybe rugby or just boxing or something, that you therefore must be a lesbian because of those old, you know, gender stereotypes or whatever, where it's considered masculine to play those sports. And so I think for me, it, it probably took a long time actually just to reconcile the fact that I'm a woman who likes football, who loves football and has always loved football, probably, you know, a long time before I probably realised my feelings towards other people. And so it's kind of, yeah, I had to get over that, I think, almost living up to that trope of, you know, being the girl that likes football and is gay is kind of, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of balancing and I think I'm fine with it now, but <laughs> at first it was a bit of a weird struggle. So Yeah, I mean, it just becomes a bit of a, a vicious circle in terms of from being like a young boy at school because if there isn't the role model, then how do you convince yourself that you can fit into this world where you can play football? And, and that I don't have a magic answer to. I guess, I mean, you just hope over time that more and more people are educated about it at a younger level so that it's not a big deal. But if you're the actual gay kid, the 13 or 14 year old, that's still going to feel really, really hard. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that goes from, I, people have different moments of, of realisation, different pe- different moments of discomfort and that, you know, I've heard some, some gay people say that's as young as age five or six. Other people say, you know, 19, 20 other people are significantly older than that. But I think there's there's these different sorts of just moments that flick into your head at all different ages, probably, of varying degrees of strength that that make you, you know, it, it, they make you think. Yeah, I think you start off thinking, well, surely everyone does this or everyone thinks like this. And then you go through, well, maybe if I do it this once with that one guy, then then it'll go away maybe and then maybe if I do it you know I can compartmentalize my life so no one ever needs to know about this if I work really really hard at school or if I throw myself into whatever my hobby is then that can distract from this other part of my life which is really complicated and I don't want to think about why do I want to think about this when I can just go and enjoy that and not risk losing things I think that's the biggest fear when when you're growing up gay it's like if I reveal this about myself, you're, you're almost constantly making this bet with yourself. It's, I'm putting this here, but what am I going to lose? I don't know. In the case of myself, it was the thing that always terrified me. And I'm really sorry if, she, if she's listening to this. But you know, my, my grandma, who I'm incredibly close to, I was terrified of telling her. because Not because she was ever going to disown me or turn on me necessarily, but... The thing I was most scared of was what's that first look in her face going to be when she learns her grandson is gay, and it's it's the, and as it turned out, I mean, I think when I told her, I was so emotional that she'd convinced herself that I had an illness and was dying, and was actually then really relieved 
um, that I was good and, and has been great since. But I think you have all these sorts of fears and, and I often hear sort of former footballers on the radio, on TV saying the dressing room would be supportive and the, the time has come, the time has come, we're ready for them. And sometimes it's not, it's not about them, it's about you, it's about us, it's about, it's about that individual and not having, a, a, and all these irrational fears often go through your head about all sorts of people. And it may be, in that case, a manager, but it may also just be their family or their friends, or they may be married, they may have a girlfriend. There's so many different things for, that have to align religion, culture, media, media, that all have to come together for a player to feel so confident. I, I think we, even as gay people at times, we underappreciate and underrepresent just how many things would need to come together for, for that to happen. It was like, I was reading the other day about, um, you know, it was, only, it was only this millennium, only 20 years ago, that boy band members felt able to come out. You know, it was only 20, you know, 20 years ago that members of Boyzone and NSYNC and uh, Westlife were, were, were too scared. And, and now, you know, for I think my generation now, looking at pop stars coming through, it's, it's completely normal. But I think sometimes we, we put this emphasis on how hasn't the footballer come out? We, we don't look at all these different other sports or aspects of society. And it is a macho world. There's no point pretending it's not. And I remember coming out to my boss at work, like, you know, guess what? Sports journalism, it's quite macho. There's quite a lot of stuff in a newspaper sports desk thrown around that if anyone thought they were upsetting you, they wouldn't say, but it can be, you know, it, it can be uh, interesting. And I remember after my family probably being more scared about that conversation than any of the other ones I had. And that's nothing to do with the person I told. They were amazing, right? It's to do with what's, it's to do with what's inside you. And that, that again comes back to why I, I read a lot of stuff about why, rain, why does rainbow laces matter? Why is it needed? Like straight people don't care anymore. Football's ready, all this sort of stuff. It's not for you, right? It's not rainbow laces. It's not for you, straight people. It's, it's you know, lovely if, it ha if one, of the, one of the things that comes out of it is that some people are more aware. Great, but it's not actually for you. It's for LGBT people to hopefully feel more welcome and more comfortable because if that's the case, then it's a really really good thing and just to go back to your point about that you made at the end there and this is definitely something i bang on about way too much it is not a football problem okay name me the gay male tennis players uh cricket and rugby both had really high profile comings out you know in the last decade it's not like it's been it's not like it was the uh a tide that followed them of other people right we've had gareth thomas keegan hurst in rugby league um, we had Steve Davis in cricket. Where are all the other people that follow? These sports also have problems still, right? It's it's just that football is the biggest sport and the most high-profile sport, and in people's minds, the kind of the sport where the environment and the fans is the most threatening. I think. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, obviously, we've just highlighted the challenges for young people and also the challenges as a child as well. And it's worth staying, saying. You know, we spoke to a few different clubs, Premier League, FA, yesterday, um, you know, Manchester United, um, last year put on what looks like a fantastic session with Keegan Hurst, who is a rugby league player who came out. He went to speak to Manchester United's academy players and they did a, a you know, a workshop. They had also, they had discussions about how coming out helps you to actually perform better at work sometimes because 
you are, you're, I suppose, your more authentic self, you're more confident within yourself. So I think that's a really encouraging sign that academy players are being asked to engage in this topic and hopefully there will be a benefit of that long term. Manchester City have a tie-in with local schools and they do a lot of work in the community as well. And I'm by no means suggesting that it's anywhere near where it needs to be in terms of regular education from, from a much younger age, probably upwards. But, but there are signs, I think, in clubs that, you know, at the top level, there are now genuine attempts being made, at the very least, to inform and educate people um, on, the, on the matter. On that point of education by those in power, we move on to a question about the FA's much-missed Greg Clark, who only last month left the FA, resigned after a load of hugely damaging comments about, well, just about every minority possible in an evidence session in Parliament. I think the first thing I'd like to ask you guys on this is, I suppose, how did those comments make you feel in relation to the LGBT community, Nancy, and also in terms of you know the, the the work that the FA is doing, are they doing things that you'd like them to do? Is there anything they're not doing that you'd like them to to do more of? Yeah, so I guess on his comments, I don't really know. Actually, it left me a bit speechless. Just the whole thing. I mean, how you can do so much damage in the course of one short conversation or answer to a question is. Uh, it's kind of beyond me but probably highlighted where a lot of problems or where people have felt a lot of problems have been with the FA and, and kind of leadership there and so I think in terms of what I'd like to see them do more of I think there's definitely more maybe more outreach or more I guess more attention they could put on creating a more forgiving or a more accepting environment either for someone to come out or for fans because you know this is great it's you know a week a year that we do rainbow laces and everything but as far as I remember it obviously didn't come from the FA in the first place necessarily and I think there's probably more visible stuff that they could do year round where even if it's an interview with a WSL player or a coach or you know because there will be other people that work within the FA even not just enough to be women's football but they might be like a regional talent centre coach or something or you know head of refereeing somewhere where to a young person whose passion is maybe refereeing rather than playing football, that would make a huge difference. So I think more stuff like that. And I think we we did look on like the FA website and it takes some digging to find anything about their action plan for LGBT inclusion and stuff. So, I mean, surely that's kind of a, a very yeah. easy thing to remedy as well. Yeah, J- just in case people weren't aware of what the comments were, I mean, he suggested that being gay is a, is a life choice um, in his comments that people choose to, to come out, people choose to choose to be gay. Alex, to follow on from what Nancy said, how did you feel that day when that news started to break? I suppose particularly in your capacity as well, not only as a gay person, but also as an editor. Did it go the way you expected it to go? Did it move quicker perhaps than it would have gone 10 years ago? Oh, I think I think in terms of how long he kept onto his job in, in the interim of those, sorry, in the aftermath of those comments, then yeah, things things have progressed, I guess. I th- was I surprised? I, I I was lucky a few years ago that I had some ideas about how to combat homophobia in football. And I asked to speak to Greg Clark. And like Greg Clark, to be fair, he met me in private. He was he listened. He was engaging. Did loads of stuff happen after it? No, but that might have been because my ideas were rubbish. Like that's that's fine, right? I don't think don't think at the FA that nobody cares. I really don't believe that, right? I 
don't I do wonder whether that they're well equipped enough to make to make change. So last year, or was it last year? What year are we in? Twenty twenty still, right? Okay. So in in February, they invited loads of people from LGBT, LGBT football to a massive event at Wembley, and the arch goes rainbow, and there was wine, and there was food. And there were lots of fan groups from across the country and there were lots of wonderful people in that room all trying to do great things. And Craig Clark came and he gave a speech and he tried to defend the FA's relationship with Qatar and no one was allowed to ask questions. And we all went home. And I came away from that so demoralized because I felt like they, I felt like the FA were happy that they put an event on, that lots of people posted lovely selfies with the rainbow arch and that there was a whole load of visible stuff going on. And I'm not saying that visible stuff doesn't matter, but I thought, oh my Lord, like we've just had that speech and there's no real discussion or about getting anything done. And this is, it just sometimes feels like the outward sort of look to the world matters just as much as anything else. And I find that difficult. Like, you know, yesterday we messaged the FA, the Premier League, the EFL and the PFA just saying like, what, do you, what are you up to? What do you do in this area? And to be fair to them, they all came back really quickly with loads of great sounding programs that they do. And everyone's trying to do stuff, but I sometimes worry that it's not enough and that it's, it's, it's well-meaning rather than actually effective. Yeah, and I, I think that's true. And I think it also, I mean, even to go back to Greg Clark's comments himself, I mean, a lot of what he said that day, it, it felt like he, he was trying, in every sense, he was trying to be a good person. He wasn't going in there with, you know, thinking I'm going to discriminate against this group, then I'm going to discriminate against that group, then I'm going to discriminate against that group. And that's my plan. Like, in, in many ways, it was the complete opposite. It was all about his use of language and all about actually just not be, you know, being a, a very well-educated person, I'm sure, but not sufficiently well-educated in that subject. And I suppose the challenge moving forward is how we encourage not only young people to have the necessary education, to have the tools to both talk about and engage with the subject, but Actually, football spans different generations and often the very people at the very top of these organizations maybe just need a little bit more humility and to say, I, I don't fully know about this. I don't know everything about this topic. Can I listen a bit more? You know, these often you hear people saying, you know, Greg Clark saying, oh, I spoke to him and then I spoke to him and I spoke to him. And these often it's just not listening quite enough. Yeah. Or having the people um, around them. Like Greg Clark is one person. Okay, I know he was running the FA, but in any situation, yeah. who briefed Greg Clark ahead of that? Who was giving him the information? Who's saying, well, when you're talking about this really sensitive, important topic, you should always refer to it like this and not like this. And you should listen yeah. and you shouldn't say that. Like, it's, it's funny. I was, I was talking yesterday to um, a, a very senior comms person at a football club and they, they were saying it actually wouldn't cross their mind before this before this evidence session, to brief someone to say that, you know, before a session, say, by the way, don't say that being gay is a life choice. Like, you, you, you know, you're, de you're dealing with very, very highly paid executives. And it, it, as a comms person, you probably have to straddle that line between treating people like idiots and providing them with the necessary tools to engage. But to, to move the conversation on, um, and this is, this is a topic which I think we probably have to say we aren't the best people to necessarily talk about or we don't necessarily at all have all the answers. But we've had a lot of questions about 
trans people in football. Um, and this question asks, what can football do not just to protect LGBT rights, but specifically help trans people feel more welcome in football? I also recognise we had a number of questions about trans people play, uh, playing in uh, women's teams. And, we, you know, we, we are, none of us three on this pod are in the trans community specifically, but Alex, just to take that first question, so what can football do, not just to protect LGBT rights, but specifically help trans people feel more well? Comes back to what you were saying before, like, listen and actually speak to people. I am the last person to claim I'm an expert in any, you know, in any of this field. But the only, the one thing I can say with confidence is that I cannot imagine how terrifying it must be to grow up trans and to sit there and read how much of a threat you are to society and that must be so demoralizing and terrifying and no matter what the people's politics are here or rights and wrongs here of uh, people's opinions i think it's really important that at the base of it we remember that these are human beings with feelings really probably incredibly vulnerable human beings and we have to talk about them as people and listen to them please 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 don't like just lump everybody in together and say all trans women are a threat to other women like just think think before people speak on both sides to remember that there's human beings involved that's the only constructive thing i'm going to say because i am neither um trans nor a woman and therefore i should be the person listening not the person talking and nancy um you know you play in i believe you still play in a women's Day. football team. Yeah, yeah, Sunday. You do? Yeah. <laughs> One of the, I suppose, the defining narratives of this this very public debate is, you know, how, how would women feel if a man who had transitioned to, to being a woman rocks up one Sunday, would they feel threatened? Is it a sporting disadvantage? How would you, how would you feel if, if that was to happen? I, th- I think, you know, it's clear that, you know, there is a lot of division on this topic and it's probably a topic that, that does need exploration as as it evolves over the years but at this, st- at this stage how, how would you feel? Um, I think obviously I can only maybe speak for myself because I'm sure there are other yeah. people that really wouldn't feel comfortable with it but for me honestly like it w- would not be a problem I wouldn't have issue with getting changed together or anything like that and I know that that's for some reason you know the thing that's dominated the last few months is like the problem of women's toilets and all of that narrative which is like Alex said, taken away from the fact that, you know, there are some very vulnerable people here that, you know, we need to think about more than anything. And yeah, for one reason or another, that's kind of the the thing that everyone's obsessing about. But I definitely wouldn't have issue with it. And I would just be proud to have another person on my team. And I, I would think that my team that I play in, again, we'd all be kind of comfortable with that just because through one reason or another, we maybe all can identify with what it means to be different to what society expects of you or you know what's considered normal in football say which is obviously what we're trying to change with the campaign and stuff with rainbow laces and these sorts of conversations but it would be more about making sure that that person would be comfortable in our environment and checking you know all the things that we could do to make a trans woman feel supported because I know there's like small things that you can do not even football things say changing pronoun or putting your pronouns in um bios on social media and stuff which is i think 
I've heard anyway, quite a good supportive thing that you can do for and for the non-binary community as well. So, but yeah, I, I wouldn't think it'd be a problem. And I think we'd probably all, at least on my team, you know, make sure we go um, the extra mile to kind of check that we're being as supportive of, uh, as we can. Because I'm sure actually stepping out on the, you know, even in a women's league, playing against then another team of women with spectators is probably terrifying. And so any small quibbles you might have yourself it it kind of seemed irrelevant and that that team the team you play for is it's not an lgbt specific team no no we're just um just a sunday league team in sheffield yeah so still waiting for the call from phil neville (laughs) sorry to butt in but i mean to be the you know there's people listening to this who say the opposite and this is not something that i agree but i just want to ask the question so that we're being balanced i suppose is so Nancy, you know, does that trans person, you know, not put in danger women because, you know, this, you know, they might be stronger or bigger boned or faster or take an opportunity away from another woman? That is, what, what do we say to people who, what do you say to people who say that? I appreciate not everyone's going to agree. I mean, I think definitely, obviously, I'm speaking grassroots level here. So, I think it's a maybe uh, there's a lot more to take into account you know if it was to be professional level or or something like that but I suppose my thing to say would be that women come in all shapes and sizes anyway some weeks I play against women that are like five foot and I'm considerably taller or bigger than they are and then you know other weeks there are you know one of my friends plays football and she's nearly six foot and it's kind of those sorts of things surely just a part of being human where we're all slightly different shapes and sizes and um I'm aware that you know at a maybe at a chemical level or you know those sorts of things that there are differences it's also Sunday league right yeah I mean you know (laughs) people turn up still hungover from the night before and you know uh, I don't think at a base level either it it really affects your ability to actually play football and and you know there are laws and and practices in place in the game which will protect you from you know horrific challenges hopefully or you know that sort of thing where yeah I don't think it would bother me but then also I think if you maybe ask like personally I have played in mixed teams until quite recently and so that maybe is why also I I don't really think of it as Mm. anything that would be a barrier. One of the the, I suppose the defining battles has been almost between gay men and 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 women on, on this topic that's been quite quite open on social media in terms of gay men jumping to the defense of trans people. And I think, you know, in terms of, I think that there are some some legitimate arguments to be had about it. But I think the reason that we often become very instinctively defensive is one, because of what Alex says about the individual behind it all. And two, because, you know, if you read back through the way that gay people were written about in the 80s and the 90s and grouped together as predators, as dangerous in some ways, their education about it is, is, has some sort of pervasive, toxic effect on children's upbringing. So I think there's a big overlap between those narratives. And that's not to say at all that there's not some entirely legitimate arguments and concerns about elite level sport long term and how that may have to adapt or change. Um, but I think that explains a little bit why particularly gay men feel quite uncomfortable and uneasy about the grouping together and perhaps 
stereotypes that are being formed about trans people. But to go on to last couple of questions, this next one is about the, I suppose, football's global community and the way that football is evolving. And it's another really, really challenging one. But the question is this, it says, if you take a look at Jordan Henderson's Twitter post recently that supports the Rainbow Laces campaign, it is littered with homophobic replies from people whose religion or faith teaches them homosexuality is wrong. With the Middle East or other parts of the world so heavily invested in the Premier League through club owners and international fans, is there a concerted effort to target or enlighten this fan base? You know, I don't think we can, you know, from speaking to clubs the last couple of days, the impression I have is that clubs are a little bit exasperated by, you know, they put a post out and then, you know, they'll, they might put something on their statement, educating people, and it will just come back with, you know, quite a lot of negativity on social media. I think, you know, the, the counterpoint I would make to that is you can put absolutely anything on social media and it will come back with a load of negativity and it's not always clear where or who this is coming from. But I think, you know, if you look at Facebook pages and social media, over the last few years, it's clear there is a pattern here in terms of overseas fans perhaps not being as supportive. Though, let's look at what happened on, at Millwall on Saturday. You know, these challenges are both local and global. But what do you think, Alex, that clubs can do in order to better inform these posts without just doing... So I suppose the alternative is doing increasingly what media platforms do over a sensitive issue, which is just putting no replies. Now, if you put no replies on that first Jordan Henderson post, then it wouldn't have had the second reply to him, which said something along the lines of, I've followed Liverpool all my life. There's been times where I was coming out where it felt like the only thing I had in my life was Liverpool and football. And then Jordan Henderson actually replied to that a day later with an even nicer post. So if you turn replies off, you then don't get that better engagement. So what, what do you think clubs can do, if anything, at this stage? I think to, to gradually turn it from more of a corporate event to more of a personal event, like the Jordan Henderson thing was, was wonderful, but it's quite rare, right? So last year, I put together a piece for The Athletic where I got in touch with all the Premier League clubs and said, I would like to speak to one of your players about why this matters. And to be honest, I completely expected most of them to just squirm and find excuses because in the past, that's kind of what it had been. It's easy to change your Twitter handle to have a rainbow on it. It's easy to keep your sponsors uh, happy by showing that you're this sort of open-minded corporate entity. But, you know, can I persuade a footballer to talk about why gay gay fans are welcome, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I'm not so sure. I got, I think, 16, 17 clubs came back to me and got some really heartfelt, genuinely emotional people talking. But I still feel that is quite a rarity. Like The reason that Jordan Henderson amazing message is something we're talking about is because it stood out. How come more players, managers aren't taking the time in this week to talk in depth about why this matters in the same way they rightly, a lot of the time, would talk about racism, right? It is very easy to be onside corporately, but it takes much more effort. If, 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 I don't know, whatever, the more, the more that I'm not picking, I'm not trying to pick on anyone for a second here because it's not the point, but the more that players from around the world would come out and explain why it's okay and why it matters, the more people abroad 
would take notice. And, and I think that is where this campaign isn't yet. It's still run by executives and marketing people and not yet generally enough actual footballers involved. Yeah. And one of the challenges I think is that people in comms team, media teams within football clubs, the higher up that goes, the harder it is for them to actually talk to their own players in some cases, yeah. to actually get the time they need to explain this is what this project is and this is why it's important because they probably get 25, 30 requests a day for, for, their, leading, for their leading players on all different campaigns, whether it's sponsors, whether it's marketing, whether it's just general media. There'll be all these different things. And I think we are now at a point where clubs actually have to just, I don't like the word obligatory, but at least give it the perception to players of being, you know, you're contracted to us. This is something that's really important to us. This is something that, you know, we get, you walk into the stadium on a Saturday and you see your, this rainbow flag. Don't, aren't you curious? Don't you want to know what's that about? How can I help with that? Um, I think we do, you know, we do need more, uh, more players to be a bit more bold. I was talking to a Liverpool fan before this started, before this podcast started. And he, he said to me, I saw a TikTok the other day where women were saying, if a straight guy says, inverted commas, women should not be harassed, the comments are like, OMG, king, crown emoji, clap, 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 clap. And as if they'd overthrown the whole patriarchy. And I'm a bit like that with footballers and rainbow laces. That's what he was saying in the sense that a footballer may come out and say something and we all get very excited in the way that Jordan Henderson's done it. But it's, it stands out because he is so rare and unique still in doing so. So it's good and it's progress, but it's not, it, it, there still needs to be so much more to be done. Um, I mean, massively. And, and to come back to the sort of they get 25 to 30 requests a day. Yeah, of course they do. But they find time for the betting partner or whoever. Right. Like that, that is I have zero time for that excuse. Whenever I hear, oh, we've got so many requests and we've got these this rights holders to keep happy. And I mean, that, that's like the biggest load of bullshit. Right. That that does not that does not work as an excuse. It, it's ridiculous. If you want to show it matters, it's lovely to turn your corner flags rainbow. And it's lovely to ter- put a banner on your website. Get people who have influence to talk. That is what makes a difference. Yeah, I think, I mean, just on the like point of it, maybe feeling a bit like lip service at times, I guess like something that I'd want to see is maybe a bit more of a thought process behind um, certain things like sponsors for holiday destinations where none of us three could go, you know, with our partners and feel comfortable or be able to hold their hands and stuff. I'm not deluded into thinking that it would stop a football club from taking that, you know, partnership because obviously we've had the debate about betting companies for years and, you know, it's still obviously like the major shirt sponsor market that the clubs go to. But it's little things like that where I think if you are a fan of a certain club and they've got visit guitar or, or whatever and we know that... You mean you're not going to visit Rwanda because <laughs> Arsenal shirt tells you to? Sadly. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I know, I know. It, but it does, it does genuinely, you know, just on a very like small level, probably make a difference because it kind of maybe just shows a, a lack of awareness. And with some of these destinations, you know, there are many other things human rights wise where it, it maybe is more of a moral issue that clubs could think about it before before signing up to that or and it's not just lgbt rights it's you know a number of other things and so i guess a, a little more consideration into commercial things and maybe where money 
talks more than anything else is kind of where it might feel like it has more value at a basic level I think imagine being like 18 years old living somewhere where it's illegal to be gay and you know being a big football fan it's okay so maybe it is nice seeing the rainbows or whatever but imagine like the power of one of the best players in the Premier League telling you there's nothing wrong with you we love you we want you to be part of this game like that is where football can be massive, massively powerful. Yeah, I think one of the things we're, we're not entirely sure of is how much, you know, we've seen some great stuff by Sky Sports over the past few, past week or so. You know, I've personally, I found the, the segments they've done with Graham Sooness in terms of that generation, um, that really someone, it's, it takes someone like him to connect with a certain generation. There's, there's a huge power to... I think he's a man in his 60s. You know, speaking pretty openly and broadly about saying, yeah, you know what? We were homophobic. Our dressing rooms, it was rife. Like, I admit it. That's what we, that's what, that's what it was. That's what it, what it, and he, he admits like He says, that's what it may still be. Because he, you know, he's not 100% sure. His experience is coaching and managing up to around 2005. So that's where, up to where he can speak about. And I think that's a really powerful thing. What we don't know is how much, the international broadcasters, you know, whether it's in China or the Middle East or States, etc., have been highlighting rainbow laces as part of their own packages. You know, have they been asking pundits, oh, all these, th- all these uh, armbands that, that the players are wearing, you know, are we having a discussion about this or or is the Premier League obliged to do that or not? So that's, I think that would be a sign of progress as well. And that's something we're, you know, would be on the lookout for Premier League, Premier um, League are quite good like that of anyone who goes to their website this week you literally can't get past the rainbow mm. like in contrast to the FA website uh, the Premier League website is we are proud supporters of rainbow laces like it, it is there uh, and I'm not saying mm. that that is the be all and end all but it really helps it? yeah just to finish I'm sorry if we've not answered your questions we may I'm sure this topic won't be solved by next year so maybe we can answer them uh, next time around if you guys have one just one thing that the Premier League or the FA or clubs or players could do before the next year of Rainbow Laces. What would you like that to be, Alex? Fewer empty gestures and more people actually talking about it. I want to hear Pep Guardiola. I want to hear Mohamed Salah. I want to hear Harry Kane. I want to hear people talk with the same passion they'll talk about Remembrance Day or anti-racism. And that, to me, will do more power than basically anything else. I think I'd agree with that. And maybe say, I think some of the more powerful stuff that they've done this year, you know, with players sitting down with members from like LGBT fan groups and stuff has, you know, definitely had real value. So that sort of thing where if you can get a player or a manager to speak out or, you know, sit down with a fan who has a grandson who's gay or has a granddaughter who's trans or something like that where if they're season ticket holders and you've got someone who's of one generation and someone who's of another generation talking to a player I mean that's like a hugely powerful conversation because you're crossing so many different sort of barriers or age groups and and things like that where it's on and off the pitch as well I think a little segment like that or just an engagement like that is probably quite powerful and it would it would hit so many different sort of demographics of of football fans and, and players that it would it would have a big impact. I, th- I think mine is that we shouldn't really have to wait another 12 months for people to talk about it. I'd like it to be something that's discussed more often, something that clubs, you know, put into their, in the same way that they, you know, do fantastic things on, on, on anti-race and throughout the year. I'd like, 
this to be a more frequent discussion rather than, oh God, it's rainbow laces, what are we going to do once a year? And I think that would help. Thank you very much, Alex and Nancy, for your time this morning on, on this podcast. Uh, we've got through as many of the questions as we could. We hope it's been useful in some way. We are all on social media if you'd like to contact us or discuss anything a bit further that we've discussed today. Thank you for joining us.